As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Okay, we are going to change up here because we thought it was going to be such an awesome night of games with all these games with playoff implications. So didn't have time to finish research for the awards. We're going to do that now on Sunday. Tomorrow, we're going to do tentatively, of course, always subject to change, our all-defense teams, worst team all-defense, and a bunch of other individual categories for defense. But we're just going to do a little gamer tonight and then, more importantly, talk about where the playoff race stands and do a little mailbag as well at the end here so let's start uh, by just talking a little bit about some of the games that interested us here the bad news is none of these games that mattered actually ended up being any good uh, down the end uh i wanted to start with brooklyn and toronto a 115 105 win for toronto pascal siakam paced the raptors with 28 points Kawhi leonard had 26 the second half was very interesting strategically where the raptors started pulling away and kenny atkinson took out most of his starters went to a group with spencer dinwiddie and ronde hollis jefferson at center that was going to switch everything so Kawhi siakam those guys that ended up going one-on-one a lot they actually slowed the raptors attack a little bit with that approach they also tried to go with that zone that didn't really seem to to work that well because the raptors got up 38 three-point attempts went 40 percent at siakam 21 field goal attempts leonard had 25 and they were the guys who were taking all the shots for the Raptors and then Serge Ibaka had 23 off the bench five of five from downtown we've been talking about on the center rankings how Ibaka had been struggling from downtown only 27 percent as of a couple of games ago and so on fire from mid-range but uh, I think Brooklyn decided to let him shoot it and uh, he was outstanding also had four offensive rebounds that's another place where the Raptors without really a great individual offensive rebounder the Nets were so small at so many positions that guys like Siakam who had five offensive rebounds Zibaka were able to get in and get the Raptors who despite the fact they didn't shoot it particularly well up to uh near 30 percent offensive rebounds for the game how much of this one did you happen to catch I watched more of the beginning rather than the end which is unfortunate because it got apparently more tactically compelling later on I thought my biggest takeaway was the Raptors defense looked good early I thought that the the Nets were struggling to get shots it was the D'Angelo Russell going against a, a more switchy defense I mean he was he was taking some tough ones he also turned his ankle pretty early in the game but kept on playing he was had ended up with 27 points on 11 to 25 from the field didn't get to the free throw line yeah and he had a late flurry with some threes he ended up five of ten from three but really struggled early in the game it was just in the fourth quarter as they were trying to make a desperate comeback i think they got it back within maybe about four yeah at one something point like briefly that. in the fourth and then the raptors pulled away to win comfortably yeah, incidentally one of the guys who, who actually had a couple nice moments early was kuroks he had a a, a a driving righty dunk which was surprising and then he also got past Marcus uh, from from the corner to the base on the along the baseline and got a nice reverse layup. He showed a little bit more verve. Ended up five of seven from the field. I, I liked I liked some of what he did. Fred VanVleet did a couple threes and. It's going to be, I mean, so this is a potential playoff one. We'll get into the gigantic pile of teams at the bottom of the Eastern Conference playoff picture later on. But I, I feel, watching the beginning of this game, and I'll be interested to see what you thought later on, like this would be a really tough matchup for Brooklyn just because getting reliable shots would be a big challenge. Yeah, and they don't really have anyone at least who can shoot that can guard Kawhi. Uh, and I mean, this Raptors defense is going to be awesome. I fully expect it to be maybe the best defense in the entire playoffs. Uh, maybe the Warriors can get a little bit higher a level when they're totally locked in with their best guys on the floor. But I, I thought the Raptors activity in this game was fantastic. One of the things that we kept seeing is the Nets love to drive and kick it and get three pointers. And they got up some threes late, but through 
basically the end of the third quarter the nets had only taken 15 threes they finally they got up a ton in the fourth as they were just desperately trying to jack some shots uh and a big part of that was the raptors just flying around with their length and then what they were doing is a lot of times on closeouts guys would get run off the line try to drive and then the help would step up they would throw it then to to the wing the next pass to a guy who who would in theory be open on on the three but the raptors communication was so good what they're doing is the guy who had gotten beaten on the initial penetration he would just trust the help behind him and then he would just run to the next pass and run that guy off the line and so it was really just a especially in the third quarter i thought the multiple efforts that the raptors defense was making very very impressive and then they had ibaka and gasol on the back line who were doing a nice job protecting the basket so i i, I was just very that was my biggest takeaway from this one was this raptors defense looked really good we could do a couple of, of quick hitters the game that i was most excited for going into the evening was houston against the la clippers that didn't last that didn't last i mean early on there was this little bit you know gallo had a had a couple of nice baskets and the rockets don't have a great person to defend gallinari but the problem is the clippers don't have anybody to defend anybody on the rockets particularly unless garrett temple is doing a really good job you know their their guards yeah. just aren't beverly was, beverly being out this hurt game so that that hurt yeah. yeah that hurt but i mean he's not i don't think of him unless you're going to run something very specific to be particularly great on harden i could be wrong but i mean yeah the the, the rockets just ran through them offensively around 132 offensive rating and the Clippers, you know, their their starting group is is in, is better now than it was at the beginning of the season. But we'll see how that squares out. And and the Rockets ran away with it, and that could potentially be a first round preview. We'll have to see. Another the other game I was most excited for. Oh, uh, can I say a little bit more? Oh, sure, of course. Yeah. So the Rockets made seven of their first eight from three. Uh, Eric Gordon was five out of ten for downtown. He's a, a pretty good bellwether. Chris Paul was five of eight he uh, looked about as good as he's looked he had 29 points in 27 minutes he was five of eight from downtown they had absolutely no answers for Harden he had 31 points uh, on 21 shooting possessions and really the Clippers complete lack of room protection I mean if you're going to stop this Rockets team you better have one of two things you better have great switch defenders and then and you know unless you're the, the Warriors or maybe the raptors you're not going to have both these things but you better have great switch defenders or you better have guys who can get over a screen and then have someone who can really protect the rim and take away some of those rim looks and i mean clint capella also at 25 i mean if you're going to give up 84 combined points in less than 30 minutes each to capella paul and hard i mean that's that's the thing right like if harden's gonna be efficient you gotta at least take away capella and you gotta take away the three-point shooters and they just didn't take away anything in this game and harden just was right down main street and you know harrell for all of his offensive brilliance is not an adequate defensive center in the playoffs and i just don't really see and the clips uh couldn't really score that well against the rockets either you know they have a really good defensive rating since the all-star break and it was really uh just crazy three-point shooting from the rockets but also just i, I mean they were getting great great shots and so that, that was my biggest takeaway here is just that the the clippers defense they've had an exceedingly soft schedule as they've got on this run uh and they came back to earth pretty badly in a home game against a team that's in theory a rival although many of the i mean the clippers have turned over the roster twice already since chris paul already left so uh maybe there was not as much bad blood as there used to be yeah, in fact, there is no one on the roster that Chris Paul played with for the Clippers right now. Yeah, lots of guys who were traded for him, but I don't think there's anybody. And I was thinking about during this game also that Eric Gordon was traded for Chris Paul too. It was just why I was thinking about all the players in this game who got who had previously been traded for Chris Paul. But yeah, the... oh, one other thing we talked about this briefly. I think it was the Clippers broadcast that said maybe the Clippers trade of Chris Paul was the best trade in franchise history. Now I'm going to say the trade for Chris Paul would probably have to be the, the best trade in franchise history to get a top 30 of all time player for six seasons for eric gordon who basically had one good year if that with the pelicans and the pick that became austin rivers and you know basically other things that weren't aminu and some other yeah i mean yeah i mean but aminu ended up wasn't I think that. he actually got his he got his fourth year option declined i think back in the day like he it, he took a long time and it wasn't until he got to dallas in 14 15 that he really became an effective player 
Right. And I mean, and Chris Paul brought them to uh, an amazing level, helped, of course, by Blake Griffin becoming a star as well. But I think Chris Paul was a huge part of what made Lob City run. I mean, it's just I mean, I've been a big believer in Chris Paul for a long time. And yeah, at least in the modern history, that's that's the best trade for the franchise. The the other game that intrigued me, well, so the Toronto Brooklyn game, that one, and then another one that fell apart early. I was all ready to flip to Nuggets Spurs. I, I think I was watching Toronto Brooklyn or maybe Boston Miami at the time, yeah. and then I see Adam Maris's tweet about Pop's already been ejected. I'm just sitting going, "What the hell?" I was just about to turn over to this game. He got into it a little bit with the refs. 63 seconds into the game, got tossed. And even though Denver was on the tail end of a back-to-back with travel, having gotten worked by the Warriors the night before, they completely controlled the game. They were impressive offensively. And also, San Antonio only, they never broke 25 and a quarter. They only broke 20, 22 once, and that was the in the first quarter. So a really nice performance overall from Denver. Yeah, this one was over. Uh, it was Lonnie Walker and Quincy Pondexter time before the third quarter was over. That pop ejection, he wasn't as vehement as he was the other night against the Kings when they ended up losing a, a crucial game at home and he got thrown out in the third quarter after what he thought were back-to-back bad calls. But uh, the Nuggets went out 5-0 and pop did his you know, call timeout as basically with... 10 minutes and 57 seconds left in the first and then he went and started talking to the refs and he got two texts then he uh hijacked mike malone's press conference at the end and uh mike was joking that yes can you imagine that someone got ejected a minute into the game and and pop was like yeah wow what did he do he must have had to kill someone so it didn't seem like pop was trying to get ejected uh but I mean, two games in a row, and I always wonder with him. There's so many things where it's like, oh, that's just Pop. He's got this like great strategy. It's all part of the part of this the game for him. And like, or is it just he like got pissed off and lost control and got ejected? <laughs> you know, yeah, he, he kind of gets the benefit of the doubt. But he does. I, I mean, this, this is an important game to get ejected right at the beginning like this. Uh, uh, but, I mean, because uh, uh, they got to avoid. They have to avoid the Warriors in the. They do, and the and, and this we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit later on, but. This, this does make it significantly harder, depending on how OKC handles the rest of this. Also, a bounce-back game for Nikola Jokic, who's, who struggled on Tuesday night. He had 20, 11, and 9 on 9 of 10 from the field. He did have five turnovers, but I mean, he they were not only they were giving him an opportunity, you brought this up on Twitter late in the game, or not late in the game, but you know, at, during, I think it was the second half, when the Spurs went to a zone, you have to be very specific about that with Jokic because he can just carve you up. Yeah, if you get him the ball at the free throw line, it, it's it's going to be over. And the Spurs also shot 5 out of 27 from downtown, and we talked about how they're a 40% three-point shooting team. So that was an aberration. But when you only get seven three-point attempts from your entire starting lineup, that's not too great either. Lonnie Walker actually did have what I would assume is a career high with 16 points, 3 of 5 from downtown in uh, extended garbage time. And... I also went on Adam Morris's podcast at Locked On Nuggets, which is going to air, I think, tomorrow, later in the day. But we talked about a bunch of things. Probably most interesting to people here is you and I watched Michael Porter play quite a bit in a three-on-three scrimmage before the game yesterday against the Warriors. So it gave my impressions of him to Adam. So And his pod is always fantastic. We talked a little bit more about where this Nuggets team is going, both in the playoffs and, and perhaps even beyond. Uh, but it needed win for the Nuggets. You mentioned Boston and Miami, Josh Richardson, Justice Winslow, and Rodney Magruder. All three of those guys were available. Richardson was returning from a heel injury. Then he promptly suffered what the team termed a left leg injury well did you see the play was very weird so i did not see the play what what happened he went up for a, a a chase down block on Kyrie Irving missed the block and then he jumped like basically so far going after the block that his you can imagine him jumping towards the basket his left leg hit the stanchion instead of hitting the ground and so oh to that's me, never weird I mean that's to, how Paul George broke his leg yeah no, it wasn't that severe I don't yeah, think no, it was that but I, it was like that, but. but it was it, it looked like to me like it might have been a groin th- like, it was just it, it, it looked weird and generally when somebody's moving quickly and has that kind of of a weird landing something something happened he only ended up i don't think he played in the game after that he only ended up with 16 minutes yeah. and 
This one was closer. You know, it, it, this is kind of a similar thing. We planned on doing the previous Celtics heat game for the uh, NBA cast on Monday. And, you know, Boston stifling Miami at various points, I think it was the second quarter in particular when Boston's defense looked great. But then Miami's kind of hanging around, but then they end up losing. And you're not really, you're not really surprised that Boston won the game. And for me, one of the big stretches, Jason Tatum went on, I think it was a 9-0 run. I don't know if it was a solo run or if he just scored nine consecutive points for the Celtics. I think it was in the fourth quarter quarter and he looked good was driving to the basket more often I think he did hit his only three during that stretch as well but Boston their their defensive personnel is is a very important part and and this was probably the best I've seen Gordon Hayward look as well yeah Tatum by the way despite that nice stretch was a mere six out of 17 did play 39 minutes in this game Jalen Brown was out with back spasms and but Tatum was six out of 17 and only at 16 points and three turnovers so and he's really struggled shooting the ball since the break uh al horford was good Kyrie had a, a middling game uh, by his standards but yeah hayward 12 of 13 from the foul line i thought that he looked the best that i've seen actually getting penetration what he still lacks is the explosion at the rim but he was able to use his craft and strength uh, to get to the foul line a lot he shut the ball well from three and, and had five assists he was a, a team best plus 16 in 32 minutes they definitely try to get him as many minutes as they could and for the heat Deion waiters played 42 minutes and had 21 points on 22 shots and zero free throw attempts he, he was part of that was trying to gun them back into it late Dragic 37 minutes for him I, I think he was he's better suited coming off the bench right now because he he's with that injury I don't think he could play that many minutes and he really struggled uh Winslow was back he didn't do much in this one and uh Wade didn't have one of his better games either at five out of 13 so the, the heat I think they were expected to lose this one by the projection systems um elsewhere we we didn't watch much of this game but the Blake Griffin lists Pistons fell by 19 at oh, home. oh I watched the first quarter of this game and I wish I hadn't it was it was gross I mean it was it was nine to seven eight minutes into the game which it, it harkened back to earlier this I think it was last week when they played the Blazers and that game was like well, 14 to 13 at the end of the first quarter and remember when the Pistons had like a month as the number one offense and that when they were shooting 40 percent from three and then they had that stretch where they couldn't hit a three-pointer to save their lives and now I mean they've had been involved in so many ugly games they've had some other good offensive games like when, when they played at Golden State they had a pretty good offensive game uh and their defense yeah. looked good early it was just that they weren't scoring enough and so basically it was just inevitable at some point and it was Bojan Bogdanovic I think in the second quarter that started getting it going and not only was Blake Griffin out did that hurt them offensively but then you had to put Thon in they put Thon in the starting lineup and then that had escalating effects in terms of the bench and everything else yeah they're uh, I mean Blake Griffin he's indispensable enough for this team but then you talk about how miserable their backup big rotation is and I mean Drummond had to play 43 minutes in this one Thon played 33 uh Zaz only played five so Drummond had a big game with 28 and 19 actually shot pretty efficiently from the field but uh, all for naught and so is that it as far as games with playoff implications oh so we don't get to talk about Mario Hazonia getting his career high <laughs> He had 29 tonight, but no, we shouldn't talk about that. Uh, yes, I, I don't think. Oh, and Charlotte won to uh, officially give them the over. Uh, Yay! Us, uh, th- with 36 wins, and they keep their infinitesimal playoff hopes alive. Um, along the along those lines, the, the, since this this isn't quite a playoff thing, the Pistons have had been on 538's projections at over 99% chance of making the playoffs without clinching for like a week now. It's wild. Because the other teams just keep winning for or win enough, and then the Pistons have been losing without Blake. So, do a quick read here from our friends at Postmates. I actually ordered Postmates just today. Got a really good Thai meal. But Postmates isn't just for ordering food. They will bring you whatever you can think of. Food delivery, grocery delivery, drugstore, alcohol. You don't have to make any more trips to the store. I've actually been using Postmates since I think 2014 is when I first started using them. A buddy of mine introduced me to them and it's great to have them on as a sponsor once again. They will deliver you anything within the hour, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. They are the largest on-demand network in the known universe with more than 25,000 partner merchants. And you just download their app either on iPhone or Android for free. You can browse local restaurants and businesses and uh, track your delivery, which is nice to see. Also, just know exactly where your delivery person is. 
they're also offering a pretty sweet deal right now 100 of delivery credit so basically the, there's a delivery fee but not for you in your first seven days unless you amass a hundred dollars of such fees and it would take many many orders to do that so to start your free deliveries download the app right now and use that familiar offer code capspace all one word easy remarks we talk about all the time here on the program that's code capspace for a hundred dollars of credit towards your delivery fees in your first seven days when you download the postmates app get anything you need anytime you need it download postmates and don't forget that capspace code let them know that you came from us Okay, so let's take a gander here at what the playoff picture is starting to shake out like it and then we can talk about what our most favored realistic matchups and least favored realistic matchups would be so we can uh, tell ourselves and maybe you guys uh, what outcomes to be rooting for here as we get into the playoffs sure so i'll start with the the big scale for the western conference in the west we know who the eight teams are but the order is still very much in flux other than probably the very top the worry are now they're two games ahead of the nuggets i use the loss column here so that's what i'm going to rely on heavily because teams can make up wins if they played fewer games and the warriors are two games ahead of the nuggets plus they have the tiebreaker so that's functionally three and the warriors have a softer schedule they have a soft schedule period the rest of the way they only play one playoff team and that's the clippers at oracle on sunday so i expect the warriors to get the one then from there, Denver has a two-loss lead on Houston and Portland, but Denver has the hardest remaining schedule of those three teams because not only do they play a home-and-home with Portland on Friday and Sunday, but then they go at Utah on, I believe that's Tuesday. So Yeah, no games on Monday, which kind of sucks, actually, because of the national championship game. Everything's This year, everything's kind of screwed up. It's like it's all happening way earlier, so well, yeah, because overlap. Yeah, yeah, there, the and because and because the last week of the it ties in, then so you have this day off right before the the season ends on a Wednesday. So like some teams, there are all these teams yeah. playing back to backs on Tuesday and Wednesday. By the way, the NBA does not need to duck the national championship for a whole day of games, especially this year. But again, that's beside the point. So Houston and Portland, they are they are neck and neck right now. They're tied in they're tied in the loss column. A lot of it will be determined by Portland's home and home with Denver because other than that these teams have pretty soft schedules so right now 538 projects Houston to finish with the three seed at 53 wins and Portland to finish as the four theoretically if those teams tie Portland actually has the tiebreaker because they beat Houston two to one head to head all of those games occurring January 5th or before and I believe Harden missed one and Chris Paul missed one but that's the way it works so if those teams do end up tying then that's that's pretty big for Portland because it would take them out of the Warriors side of the bracket and put them against the Nuggets should they make it out of the first round. Then the other team that can kind of work their way into the Blazers-Rockets mix for the three and the four would be the Utah Jazz. They are two losses behind. They have 30, but they have an incredibly soft schedule for over their next couple games they play sacramento then the lakers then we don't know where denver is going to be at that point and then they they host the clippers on the or sorry they're at the clippers on the last day of the season and again we don't know how the clippers are going to be at that point yeah, so i i think uh, i think denver will uh be just slightly east of the rocky mountains <laughs> but uh yeah and i'm guessing denver is going to be elevation. pulling i think that game is going to be huge for both of those teams because there because it doesn't look like things are going to be squared away that early for either of them and denver has this huge incentive to finish not only to finish as the two but to just keep on pushing and uh, it, it doesn't even seem like there's really a tactical thing i had said previously i actually said this on anthony slater's podcast a couple days ago that it would have been interesting for denver if they'd had the incentive of losing one or both of the portland games to push them above houston but they do not because denver just needs to take care of their own shit so I would say the Rockets, Blazers, and Jazz are going to be the three through five unless one of them catches Denver. And then that leaves, especially after the Clippers lost to the Rockets today, that leaves the bottom, which is now a little bit tighter. The Clippers are, so it's, the Clippers have 32 losses, the Thunder have 33, and the Spurs have 34. The Clippers... I would say they have the they have the lead there they have the advantage of getting to the sixth seed because a they have one fewer loss and they actually have two more wins than the other two teams and their schedule is has one easy game but then the other two it's going to depend on what what Warriors team they see on on Sunday OKC has a 
they have what looks like a tough slate on paper, but their last game of the year is against Milwaukee, and the Bucks are probably going to be sitting everybody at that point. So that one might look, you know, the, that might be one where the projections are counting it as a loss, yeah. but it's a it, much more maybe, likely win. Maybe if the Bucks really want to play the long game, they might say, "Hey, we should beat the Thunder, so they're the eighth seed in the Warriors." Face the Warriors. I and mean, that, that seems like a little bit too attenuated. Yeah, I so. think that's like four dimensional chess or maybe five. And something to keep in mind here, if that if my idea on that is right, is that it could affect because it could affect things because the Spurs actually if it's two, if it's one versus one, the Spurs have the tiebreaker over the Thunder by virtue of head to head record. So if those teams tie, then San Antonio would get the probably the seven and Thunder would get the eight. So if yeah. OKC wants to avoid the eight, they have to finish a game ahead. Yeah. And, also, interestingly, I would guess that the Clippers are the team that the Warriors would most want to face out of those three I would agree if I were them I would probably rather play the Spurs out of any of them um uh, Slater said yesterday that the Warriors coaching staff would definitely rather play the Spurs than the Thunder I think uh because they uh they they match up well with them Um, but but uh but you might say hey they want to beat the Clippers so that they're forced down maybe more likely into playing Golden State but again I don't think the the Warriors really think that way that much either right um, oh and and also san antonio has a very favorable remaining schedule they play at washington at cleveland and then they host dallas yeah they've also sucked on the road though that's true and you know washington and cleveland could be feisty depending on just what team what shows up i mean the the wizards lost to the bulls tonight so you never really know that game was that game was bizarre i only watched a little bit of it but i I included the i retweeted it the felicio like not realizing how much time was left on the play and just like running into the play at the it was it was very weird talking to the coaches and like didn't realize that the play had started um but yeah and actually i mean the wizards i'm sure part of the reason bradley beal is playing so much is he really wants to make all nba so i imagine he'll he will be out there playing hard against the spurs um but yeah so so in the west then are are, are we have we said everything you want to say about what's setting that up yeah i I think that's okay so so give me your uh matchup realistic matchup that you most want to see in the first round it it almost definitely involves the Thunder just because they're they're the most interesting team to me in the bottom half, depending on how we're going to... I mean, I think Utah could be, but I also, it seems harder for Utah to get into a really compelling series just with how the how it's structuring out. So I'm, it's to me, it's between Thunder, Rockets, Nuggets, and Warriors. I will go... I think I'll go Thunder Nuggets. I think that would be just just to see whether Denver. I mean, create a, a fast some tactical matchups. Stephen Adams and Jokic, Russell Westbrook. How how the Nuggets defend him? That would be uh, and that would be a series that would be. I don't really have a grasp on how those. I mean, they and they've also played some intensely fun games over the last few years. So I mean, there was this thing like I think they just almost every single game they played to get was close against each other for like two or three years now. So that that's probably my number one. I mean, I think the it could still happen, but it probably won't. Rockets Jazz would be an awesome series. Uh, although certainly I would favor the Rockets in that, especially with a, a potential home court. Uh, but failing that, I think Warriors Thunder is just uh, for the storylines. This is once KD has gone to yet another team. If if in fact that happens, there won't probably be that. Much that's angst. true. That, and, and that's true. And this would be probably this the best chance at a KD Thunder series. That's um, a good point. And also, I mean, when you consider the value of a replacement where otherwise it'll be warriors spurs which is gonna be just so boring uh that the warriors are just you know if it'll be a five game series because the warriors just like mail it in in game four like last year i mean it's it would be uh, well, and, the Spurs and match up so terribly with them. The other reason that series would be compelling is Paul George is the best defender of Kevin Durant, maybe definitely in the Western Conference playoffs, but maybe in the whole damn thing. Yeah, no, I, I think that's right. So, and Warriors Spurs is the one I least want to see. Any others that you don't want to see at all? I think Clippers Blazers would, would be kind of scary. Well, to me, Clippers Rockets would be deeply uninteresting just because it would be the Clippers would be like trying to outscore the Rockets and just wouldn't and there wouldn't there wouldn't be much tactical nuance to that series so it would just be like a a four or five game just sleeper yeah I mean it's really it's such a bummer that the Blazers are hobbled now right um and it's frankly it's also a bummer that the Lakers aren't in there I mean they're they're so much more interesting than the Spurs or Clippers would have been Uh, and also it's really a bummer that the Thunder have have cratered the way they have well yeah because that would have opened up like Thunder Jazz Thunder Blazers if if uh, yeah. or also all those sorts of things all right uh why don't you give us a rundown here in the east the top of the east is a lot easier to explain barring i mean 
it's basically all clinched now. The The Bucks will be the one seed, the Raptors will be the two, the Sixers will be the three, and then the Celtics and Pacers will be the four and five in either order. The biggest determining factor there will be their game on Friday. They play, and if yeah. the Celtics win that, not only do they get the game advantage, but they also get the tiebreaker. And so, if the, so that'll be it then. If, if Whoever, uh, will the pretty Pacers much. get the tiebreaker if they win? or will uh, they? It goes to conference record, and I think it would probably, I think in that circumstance, Boston would end up would end up winning because they don't play any non-conference games and Boston's ahead right now. So I guess I guess if they if Indy wins and they still tie, then I think Boston would get yeah. the tiebreaker. And th- those two teams have identical 47 and 32 records yes. as we speak right now. Yeah. So so that part of it is all is all well and good and, and pretty straightforward. And then you get into the morass and it has gotten thicker in in recent past because of the Pistons losing games without Blake Griffin and then other teams largely coming up into it. And so in the loss column right now, the Pistons have 30. And so this is four teams going for three spots, the six, seven, and eight seeds in the Eastern Conference. The Pistons have 39 losses and then the Magic, Nets, and Heat all have 40. And the Pistons have the, they're leading in the projections, not only because they're leading in the loss column, but also because they have the softest remaining schedule. They do have a tough game at OKC, but after that, Charlotte, Memphis, and at the Knicks. So depending on, you know, what Memphis team shows up and what Hawks, and and, sorry, no, and what Charlotte team shows up, but I'm guessing they will be pretty heavy favorites in those games, depending on if Blake is playing or not. So they have a decent, they have a pretty decent shot of not only making it in, but also getting to the six. And then outside of that, it's, it gets really tough to predict right now. So the Magic Magic are, uh, they're 39 and 40. Their remaining games are hosting Atlanta at Boston at Charlotte. Brooklyn continues their brutal slate at Milwaukee in a game the Bucks might still be trying and probably will be at Indiana when they almost definitely will still be trying and then hosting Miami who will presumably still be trying. And then Miami has four games left at Minnesota, at Toronto, hosting Philly, and then at Brooklyn on the last day of the year. Yeah, so, I mean, Heat, Nets... Like that game could be to get in. It it's could be to get in. Way. It could I mean, also be like seating. You know whether you face the face the Bucks or not. It could be a lot. There are a lot of different yeah. ways that well, game. Could well, happen. I think. I mean, the Magic are at ninety four percent, and the Pistons are at ninety nine percent now. But by five thirty eight, so it really is looking like it's coming down to those those teams, the Nets and Heat. And well, I will. I will. Yeah, I guess it depends on how. Also, Miami could benefit from if Toronto or Philly just sits their guys in one of those sure. games. That changes the probability a lot, and I'm sure yeah. five thirty model is pricing in that those teams are going to be uh, playing although uh for toronto they may feel like they would much rather play the nets than the heat so may- maybe that's a reason why they played it remember actually it was in a net meaningless nets heat game last year at least meaningless for the raptors where they just were going for 60 wins that fred van vliet actually got injured so maybe we'll see them be a little more conservative this year it does seem like nick nurse is going to be and just the overall ethos of the organization has been uh let's take it pretty easy i mean well, they, they have nothing and, to play for and the miami game is the tail end of a back-to-back so yeah, they play i, I they... guess the only the only impetus actually for the raptors right now is make sure they get home court advantage over the warriors in the finals I'm going to be fascinated to see if either team really cares about that because yeah, there's both are projected at 58 and 24 right now. Right, and I do not know how that tiebreaker would work. I will do uh, it. No, it, it still defaults. Well, uh, yeah, because they split the. No, no, the the Raptors uh, won both games. Did they? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They 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 blew out the Warriors and then uh, the Kevin Durant overtime game uh, where Steph Curry oh, maybe right. could have come back but he didn't. But the Raptors won that one too. So uh, yeah. So so if they finished tied, the Raptors would have uh, home court advantage in the final. Yeah, and I, I'm guessing that the Warriors will they'll do some aggressive sitting. Whether that costs them a game or not, I still don't know. Um, but so I mean, it really looks like though, at least by these projections, Nets Heat uh, that game is in Brooklyn, right? Yes, it is. So and the Nets are. 72 percent and the heater 31 percent probably the biggest reason why the nets have a higher percentage is just because they're at home in that game i would and think so yeah that's probably what their favorite so i mean it really is it would be a surprise i think if it doesn't if that game doesn't mean anything at all but you know we'll see them I in the nets still have that tough schedule but they're, they've got milwaukee at milwaukee still uh that's one where hey maybe milwaukee wants to just play them um instead of miami because miami is is so physical um and then at indiana they'll be trying you would imagine in that game so yeah t- tough to say 
say uh, here, I mean, I, I hate how we always have to project out, oh, are they going to be trying? Are they not be trying? Um, okay, matchup that you most want to see realistically here in the Eastern Conference. I'm not sure why there's a reason I'm intrigued by it, but Net Sixers seems like it'd be fun. Yeah, I think the that plays into the Sixers' weaknesses some with their lack of on-ball defense. Uh, the Nets have a, a lot of depth too, which the Sixers don't. So uh, maybe with some of those bench units, the Nets uh, could make up some ground. I mean, the Nets have no answers for Joel Embiid, but they might go zone and, and take advantage of the Sixers' lack of shooting, especially uh, on some of their bench lines. So yeah, I, I think uh, Atkinson versus Brett Brown would be a fasc- fascinating series uh, as well. Um, yeah, uh, it doesn't look like the Nets would have any way of getting to the sixth seed though, unless they went out. Yeah, it would be basically, I think, the key there would be the pistons losing games yeah yeah and, and with blake remains out i mean who, hopefully this isn't something where it's like he's actually gonna i mean you imagine if he could be playing he would right now yeah i so. mean if, if they had even gotten a split against indiana they would be in a much better position yeah so i, I mean the magic i think they're probably gonna get train wrecked um certainly raps pistons i would love to see as well i mean it, it would be great if the nets could have held on to six and then you know the magic were the eighth seed so if if pistons were seven nets were six i i agree with you that would have been awesome but i, well, I don't the, see it the that pistons happening. the pistons can still get seven it just might not be with the nets getting six yeah no that that seems unlikely and i mean i think you know magic sixers could be okay too uh i think um but i, I think uh raptors magic or bucks magic either of those would just be a complete destruction um uh, well, maybe not me I, I think actually like Vooch his like pick and pop ability against the the buck scheme might be interesting so, well, so, so here's a question the who do you think would be the most interesting of those four teams to face the bucks oh god i mean i think all of them are gonna waxed uh the yeah i mean like there, there was a part of me like two weeks ago that was like oh man miami could be interesting and they had well, that the, good the heat the heat would be the answer to that for me yeah yeah i think the heat would be too i was more excited about their defense versus milwaukee's offense before like the bucks just ran them like two weeks ago in the second half they actually miami looked pretty damn good in the first half my concern there is that i don't think miami would score at all and so even if the games yeah. were ugly it would be it would be hard for them they need gordon Dragic and, and wade to really put them on their backs but yeah i think that yeah. i still think that would be the most interesting series and it'd be cool for wade to finish up his career playing in milwaukee where he went to school yeah um, that'd be a nice storyline but uh yeah so the one i really don't want to see is bucks pistons i think that would be a, a massacre um all right i think are we good on that yeah I'll, I'll do you want me to do a, just a quick rundown of how it seems like it's pretty clear how the bottom of the lottery is going to go can you do it quickly is that i, I yes. know your passion for the subject no so. no it's yeah so i mean basically right now the knicks have the knicks are locked into the worst record they're three wins behind the suns so they're fine. The, theoretically, the Suns could catch the Cavs. They're only they're only one win, one win behind. But now with Devin Booker spraining his ankle, and I would guess that the even even though it was you know the X rays were the X rays were negative, that they'll be very cautious with him as they should be. That. They will that they won't be pushing hard, especially with the incentives, because even though some people are well, even though the the odds of getting each of the top picks is the same, your expected value is meaningfully different because if you don't get into the top four, it affects positioning and all that kind of stuff. So I, I do think that there's enough of an incentive for the Suns there, given the absence of other incentives. And then Cleveland is clear on the top end of Chicago. Chicago is clear of Atlanta. And even though the Hawks have been winning recently, including their win over Philly tonight, everybody else above them that has all of these structural incentives to try to get into the top five, including most notably Dallas, because they would keep their pick, they just keep winning at least a little bit. So the Hawks are still there's still two games clear of everybody in the wins column. So it seems like it's going to be Knicks, Suns, Cavs, Bulls, Hawks going into the lottery. Yeah, and if the Hawks and Mavs were to tie with the the Hawks actually having the Mavs top five protected pick, uh, that would be a hell of a coin flip to see who who would actually be uh, in fourth or fifth position there. Um, fifth or sixth, but no fifth or sixth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fifth or sixth that actually matters a, a lot more. Okay, so and then where is Memphis as far as potentially keeping their pick or not, uh, which is top eight protective? And really, it seems like where they want to end up is right at nine. So they either move up into the top four and keep the pick or they give the pick away it seems like that's what they want if they if they want to get to nine they need to win a little bit more because right now they're at 31 and 40 
27, which is the, that's tied with Dallas for 6-7. But then the Pelicans and Wizards are at 8 and 9. So they basically would have to get into they would ha- they would have to get to probably 33 wins, maybe 34. And Memphis they play they do but the, here's the huge thing. They play Dallas twice. So if Memphis wants to win those games, theoretically, and Dallas theoretically does not, which we're not sure either one of those is true, then Memphis, that could be a way to do it. And Memphis plays the Warriors on the last day of the season, a game when Golden State could very well be sitting a lot of guys. All right, let's do a little mini mailbag here before we depart. Got some interesting questions left over from our Patreon mailbag, patreon.com slash Duncan LaRue is where you subscribe there. You can check out the NBA cast, which uh, is not ad supported, but we depend upon your largesse with the Patreon to uh, at least get a little bit of money for our time during the playoffs. And we're going to be doing the NBA cast pretty much every day. Uh, except when there is a Warriors home game and when maybe on a Friday night my wife says you can't do it. Uh, So let's get to a couple of those questions here. Let's start with this from uh, John Catterson. If you were the Kings, would you re-sign Barnes to four years, 80 million, or just have him take his player option, which is about 25 million? Now, you don't, they don't have control over that. Obviously, he can decide to either opt out or not, but presumably they would be able to entice him. For me, I I would much rather have him take that $25 million player option. And if everything goes great next year, you can always, you can pay him absolutely whatever you want and re-sign him. So I, I think I'd probably go there. I mean, four years, 80 million for Barnes seems pretty steep. I, if I were going to bring him back in a long-term deal, I'd want it to be more in, you know, the 15 to $17 million range, if that. Yeah, I would much rather have the year and and see where these things go. I think that Barnes, if he got paid this offseason, would be likely to get overpaid, especially when Sacramento just went through the affirmative step of acquiring him. A lot of times when a team does that, they end up making a bad decision because they feel more trapped. Doesn't always happen, but it does often happen. I, mean, I, I think back to Oklahoma City trading for Ennis Canner and then matching the Ennis Canner tr- oh, yeah. the, the troll offer sheet from Portland. You know, that was a deal. I didn't, I, you and I, granted, you and I were way lower on Ennis Canner basically his entire career than a lot of people, but they would think about how much better off they would have been if they just had let him go instead of instead of matching that. Also, man, the Blazers would have been totally screwed. Yeah, and just making that kind of a commitment. Now, this is something that's going to rear its head a lot. The idea of, number one, you're the Kings, so what else are you going to use your money on? They're pretty decent now, so they're not really in the just take on bad money for assets marketplace any longer. And then also you can say, well, yeah, you know, we're playing twenty million for Barnes, but twenty twenty is a terrible free agent market. If we, if he just opts in, either we're if we want to keep him, we're gonna have to pay a ton because there'll be competition, or we won't necessarily be able to replace him. Who knows? Maybe they won't even want to replace him. Also depends on uh who they get in the draft. Oh wait, they don't have their pick from the uh the the salary dump from twenty fifteen. Sam Hinkie. Uh, but. I would still say, I mean, that's just such a risky contract for Barnes. I mean, that is a lot of money to pay for a guy who is a controversial player, I I think we can say. He's not exactly what you need as a 3 and D type on the wing, especially the deep part. You know, he's kind of more of a 4. Bagley also plays a 4. As a 3, I think he's a a little bit of a bad fit there. So this playing into the same question, we got asked who are some of the candidates who are most likely to be stretched this offseason and normally we are relatively against that but when you consider number one how bad the 2020 free agent class is and number two just how much money is going to be out there because of all those sour 16s coming off the books does it make sense to just open up more cap space now with a better free agent class and then okay if you hurt your 2020 cap space in 2021 you know who cares because you're you weren't gonna get any bang for your buck those years anyway so I, i think there is more logic to using the stretch provision now than in a lot of years so who are some candidates that come to mind for you danny one of the key elements this year that is really different is that there are a lot of guys that i think are going to get cut 
either way. And so the question is just, are you better off spreading that money out or taking the hit? So a good example there is Bismack Biombo. I do not expect, like there isn't, there isn't that a ton of value. Another one here is Timofey Mozgov. Incidentally, those guys were traded for each other where let's use Mozgov. Actually, he's a better example of this. Orlando, depending on how their, how their off season goes, they could prefer to have his money, just his 16.7 million on in a single shot and just get it off the books. And then they can be a little bit more flexible in 2020 when maybe Maybe they're off of Marco Fultz's money. Like they, they could have more spending power that year, depending on how all these things go, depending on what happens with Vooch and Terrence Ross, or they could do that. But either way, I don't expect Mozgov to be on the team next year. So, so there's that group with like Biombo and Mozgov and John Moore might be in that camp as well, where it's like, you know, do you really like, do you really want to use a roster spot on this guy? And yeah, I think and so the question is just whether to stretch the guy or not. Yeah. So the question is just whether you want to stretch him. Chandler Parsons is probably another example there. I mean, where, Detroit, Detroit's looking at being close to the tax so i think right. i could very easily see lure getting stretched yeah and like i could for example i could see chandler parsons not getting stretched because it, especially if they move mike conley the incentives aren't really there and you might as well rip the band-aid off rather than throw about 14 actually be more than 14 throw like 15 or 16 million onto your books for future years when the team could look dramatically different so really the type of teams i mean obviously it's guys who aren't contributing anymore but the type of teams that are likely to consider this are teams that number one are either close to the tax or really in the tax or that really want to use cap space so alan crab in brooklyn they could have 47 million in space but they also have russell with a 21 million dollar hold if they move on from crab they could keep russell and potentially get a max slot as well that is a compelling reason why you might want to just stretch crab uh charlotte with biombo if they re-sign kemba i would say biombo is almost certain to get stretched or moved in some kind of a cost cutting deal because kemba will be so expensive um you know it's kind of reading the tea leaves it's kind of seeming like and eh, you know he may not be back there um it, but if he makes if he makes all nba perhaps the money would just be so large you know an additional 80 million dollars guaranteed that he might have to consider it uh so that's one that, that really comes to mind there nick batum is probably t- still too many years i think to be stretched um chicago doesn't really have one maybe felicio but i don't expect them to be that active in free agency what about does dallas have anyone i mean hardaway has two years left so that would be i i think tough. there's there's a possibility with courtney lee it would have to be yeah. that they need that eight million that eight million and, and dwight powell too i mean but i think I think the, they would they'd be able yeah. to find a trade partner for Dwight yeah. Powell. And by the way, just a quick reminder for those who don't recall, the way the stretch provision works is as long as the player is waived prior to the beginning of September, you can stretch his contract. You just take what, what his cap number would have been for that year you st- and you divide it by the number of years remaining on the contract times two plus one. So if it's one year, it's three. If it's two years, it's five, etc so and you could see maybe because the Mavs are looking at a big raise for Porzingis perhaps they feel like maybe this is the time to strike if they can really find some guys that they want to come in you know bring in a second guy who actually makes a fair amount of money uh they don't really have draft picks in the future that they can give up to get off of money so maybe you'll see it but I'm starting to think probably not there um Detroit John Luer you mentioned I think that's a a very possible one Golden State Andre Goodall is still playing really well so I, I would have to imagine they would not stretch him I, I would have thought that he could potentially be a candidate when that contract was signed but he's actually held up pretty well in terms of his his play but Sean Livingston with only two million guaranteed I would imagine with their tax concerns they probably would just try to trade him somewhere and give up a second round pick or just pay his salary with cash or something rather than stretching him uh, but if they can't do that I could see them stretching him uh, very easily as well Houston i could see nene getting stretched he's likely to opt into a a three million dollar player option the the rockets uh ever tax conscious one that we should definitely mention ryan anderson if that's another one that will be entirely context dependent he reduced his guarantee never reduce your guarantee guys 15.6 million to brandon knight's salary and so if miami needs wiggle room under the luxury tax they could absolutely do that I eat they'll just wait I think I don't know what the I, I don't think I still know what the guarantee date is for him um but presumably Miami will have at least some time oh it's it's uh, July 10th okay so they will have time to figure out what's yeah. going on 
with their with their offseason. We we both expect that Whiteside and Dragic will pick up their options and so then the math gets pretty tight for Miami. So they very well could, but remember if their their vaunted twenty twenty plan would be subjected to an extra seven million in dead money on the books. So that and that you can't and that's another thing to remember with the stretch provision. You cannot move that money for any reason. That's why I was critical of the Knicks before they did everything else they did of of stretching Noah was because they there was some potential that they could have used him in a salary to get off if they needed that extra money they could have used that they could have gotten off of it as opposed to now where they just have 6.4 million on their books one that I want to keep in the back of my mind is Myers Leonard the I, now I the, would say it's more likely than not that he gets stretched with, with the Blazers in the tax yeah with with them in the tax and also because it looks like the Blazers will not be in the tax in 2020 then you know they would lose some spending power depending on what the team looks like at that juncture and you know depending on Alfred Camino and a couple other things but it would be you know be a significant reduction about about eight million about eight million off of their off of their salary and then of course that has extended effects in terms of the luxury tax bill and just for fun I did the math on it's not going to happen on John Wall so theoretically if the if the new Wizards general manager wanted to stretch John Wall, it would be nineteen million a year for nine years. Well, wouldn't they run potentially run afoul of the rule that you can't have more than fifteen percent of the cap stretched? Oh, they might. Well, okay, so so it's nineteen million, fifteen percent of a is that the cap for a given year? Is that what it is? Yeah. So if we're projecting at one oh nine, they would. Yeah, that would be more. You're right. That's a good call. Yeah. Shit, I should write on that at some point. <laughs> um Toronto, they have any candidates? I don't think they'll, so. I mean Pal Pal has another three years. Yeah, he's actually played okay. They yeah, and probably, he's played okay. And good. and they're you know, they're kind of in the situation where if they're if Kawhi comes back, they're good enough that they they'll want to keep their guys. Yeah. And if they're and if he leaves, then they just won't have this no, they won't have the spending power and, to And part of why that Gasol trade was so good for them was they got rid of bad salary. For yes, they did. With Miles and JV. JV has actually played pretty well. He's helped the Memphis. I mean, he's also not, to, to get a piece player. of news out of the way, he's out of the for the rest of the season. He has a grade two ankle sprain. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, really interesting to see. And you know, maybe certainly all of these teams would probably rather trade some of these guys. But you know, as we've seen, it takes a first round pick if, if the guy's making like fifteen million or more. Uh, it takes a first round pick to to get rid of them, and teams aren't going to want to do that, obviously. So stretch provision could could happen yeah. for a lot of these teams. I think really the teams the, the teams to really watch though are the teams that are just like so far into the tax and the teams that are really like huge destinations for free agents right like atlanta miles Plumley is a terrible contract he's you know it's contributed next to nothing he makes 12 million but it's unlikely i think that the extra 8 million in cap space they could get by stretching him would help them that much this year they're better off saving that till later as their team matures Right. And that's why I think Alan Crabb could be compelling because even though Crabb is a much better player and his contract is also a bunch more, there is a chance that that 10 million or so comes into play for Brooklyn. I don't expect it to, but in that circumstance, that might be the easiest way for them to clear money because they like a lot of what they have. Yeah. Especially with the idea of creating a max slot and holding on to Russell's cap hold. I think that right. could be, you know, he, he might be up there of like the most likely, like if you had to pick a single most likely guy to get stretched, would it be him? crab i mean he does no i think I, I think i'd go with ryan anderson yeah with with miami potentially facing the tech yeah and we're and we're probably yeah. up there too just because it looks like detroit's going to be pretty impacted and he's not helping them a whole lot and mozgov would be high too because i could see i think orlando's gonna want to spend this year all right that'll do it for today thanks so much for listening we'll be back tomorrow with uh everything you want to know about individual defenders in the nba will have uh many awards not just uh, all defense so we'll talk to you all then have an awesome day everybody in your crew identifies as either big mac burger mcnuggets or mccrispy sandwich but you're the filet fish sandwich all day that crispy fish that savory tartar sauce that melty cheese that pillowy bun yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.